welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner. I believe in the power of sharing our experiences and knowledge with others, and when we do, we are creating ripples of impact around us. Each week, get ready for intimate personal shares, honest, relatable conversations, aha moments, and so much more. This space was designed to create empowerment, inspiration, community, and provide guidance to elevate those around us. I am so excited to have you here. Get ready and let's start creating ripples. Hello and welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner, and today's guest is Amy Strauss, and we had the opportunity to connect through Nikki Norenberg, who if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you probably know who that is, um, through her Movers and Shakers membership, which has just like been such a cool connector of like, I mean, Nikki always connects me to so many incredible people. And so if people have been listening, I'm always like, oh, another guest that Nikki (laughs) brought into my life, here they are. And it's always fun because everybody I feel like found Nikki in just very different ways and she's connecting with people literally all over and so it's just fun to get to hear how people found her and what they've learned and where they're at in their journey and I'm super excited to have you on the podcast because we haven't even gotten to talk like a ton about the types of things that you do and I think it will just be a really cool conversation to dig in together. Totally. Yeah. I know it's, it's funny how we, we don't know each other that well, but we get to know each other through a platform like this. And it's, it's just so awesome. And Nikki, she's like the best at bringing people together yeah. and like great people. I mean, everyone's a great person, but you know what I mean? Like great, special well, people. <laughs> it's, it's like when you have someone like that, that's just like such a great connector, you just trust that somebody that they bring into your life. You're like, yeah, I'm going to vibe with them. It's like this like instant connection of just like, okay, yeah, this is going to like flow like really well. I mean, I did her um, vibrant program and it was just like everybody just like clicked because of the type of people she brings in. So anytime I have the opportunity to chat with someone that I've met through her, I'm like, yeah, the conversation is just going to flow instantly. I can just feel it. Yeah, totally. I I worked with Nikki actually during the pandemic one-on-one. And then the group thing I did with her after that was just like a chakra series. Like I think it was like a seven week chakra series for each chakra, but that like group was incredible too. And then now movers and shakers. So when she asked me, I was like, yeah, I want to be a part of your community. Like everyone that you bring in is so incredible. Well, and I, and I love Nikki obviously and she's incredible herself, but I know as um, soon as she asked, I was like, yep. Yep. I don't even need to know all the details. Let's do it. I mean, yeah, totally, totally. So tell me a little bit about your backstory and who you are. Yeah. So hello, I'm Amy, as Alex said already. I am, it's funny, my my business is always like ever evolving, but at the moment, what really resonates with me is um, intuitive healing. So I, I really, I really invest myself into being an intuitive healer at this moment in time. I am an embodiment coach and I wasn't always these things. I also am a yoga teacher and I was teaching yoga um, for many years before I embarked into coaching and healing and and all that stuff. So I grew up in Los Angeles and I am still here currently. 
I think I want to move soon, but currently I'm residing in Santa Monica, California. Um, and I used to actually be a fashion designer in my early 20s. So I went to FITM, which is, if anyone doesn't know, the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising here in LA. And I went to school for fashion design. I spent a few years in the industry after I graduated when I was 20. And I also like, I graduated college so early. <laughs> so like, I was kind of like at 20 years old, like when people graduate college, when they're like 22 or 24, and they're like, oh my God, what do I do with my life? I had that like crisis really early on. <laughs> Because I was like, I don't even actually know if I like fashion that much. When I graduated, mm -hmm. it, it was kind of like a, a borrowed dream for my parents. Like they thought it was really cool. So I was just like, oh, this is cool because I love like looking cute and I like dressing cute and I like style. But um, it's funny how my soul at that point in time even knew that like that wasn't it for me. But I, I tried anyways. And I was also like, I don't want to waste all this money on on school and not do it. And I feel like I have to give it, you know, at least a chance. And so I kind of like ignored that soul whisper from like early on. And of course, it always comes back and and starts yelling at you when you don't listen. Right. So I spent a few years in various fashion design jobs as an assistant designer, as an associate designer and um yeah, my the last company I was at, it wasn't like malicious, like how a lot of, you know, fashion companies are portrayed to be or said to be, but it just was like so stress inducing and everyone was like ripping their hair out over like designing and working on like four or five different collections at once. And I was just like, who who am I helping? Like what am I doing? This isn't helping anyone, this isn't serving anyone or supporting anyone. And um kind of backtracking to I when I was graduating FITM and then upon like trying to figure out what I was doing with my life I also was developing like a pretty heavy eating disorder so that was um, really present in my life from about 19 to 21 or so is when I started to really try to get better from that and then from 21 to like 24 I was like heavy in eating disorder recovery and that didn't look like, you know, I didn't go to like patient inpatient treatment center or anything like that. I actually, I feel fortunate to have kind of tackled it relatively quickly in like the grand scheme of things. A lot of people deal with that their whole lives. And I feel really, really, really grateful um, that I was able to really like overcome that pretty easily. I mean, not easily, but <laughs> relatively quickly, you know, um, and Sorry, the story is like a little all over the place, but while I was um, developing my eating disorder and pretty heavy in that, I also was, I, I found yoga for mm -hmm. anxiety, for depression. Um, you know, I was dealing with a lot of like heavy feelings. I was in a really toxic relationship at that age. Um, and I grew up in a quite chaotic household. My parents are incredibly loving people who, of course, have done the best they could, but it was just really dysfunctional, like the communication, the, um, you know, fighting that it was just it was just kind of a mess. <laughs> and so I got an eating disorder because I was just dealing with a lot of painful stuff that I was numbing. And um, from there, I think that the the yoga that I was consistently doing, I mean, I would 
hopefully this isn't, this is, I'll say a little trigger warning just because I'm going to talk about the eating disorder just a little bit, but I would like go to the gym and, you know, make myself run five miles, but then I would take a yoga class after. And mm. yoga is incredibly healing, right? I didn't really know what it was doing for, like what it was doing for me at the time. But when I was doing yoga three to four times a week, it was like, I, I like to say now looking back, like the little teeny thing that was like keeping me super connected to myself or even like a fraction connected to myself, I should say, because there was the rest of me was so disconnected. Um, and so, yeah, all of that kind of fast forward into me realizing I hated fashion and I just quit <laughs> me realizing I really needed to like heal the, the eating disorder stuff for good. Cause you can stop using behaviors from an eating disorder, but that doesn't mean the problems are gone. Like that means you then have to deal and cope with life and you know, a healthy way. And usually when you kind of stop one addiction, other parts of your life can be become more addicting. And um, a lot of people like trade one addiction for another. And so I really had to, I was in therapy, I was in support groups. And um, when I quit fashion, it's because I had embarked on a yoga training and sorry, I haven't, I haven't shared this story in a while. So it's a little all over the place, but that's okay. But, um, when I was like hating fashion, I was like, okay, what's like the one thing that I love to do? It's yoga. Like that was like the only thing that I knew that I really loved at that point in my life. I didn't feel that passionate about that many things. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew I wasn't helping anyone in fashion. And I knew that I really, um, really loved yoga. And so I was like, I don't even know if I like want to teach, but I'm just going to do this yoga teacher training because this is the one thing that I really love to do. Um, and so then I did that and that took up a few months of my life and I was doing the yoga teacher training on the weekends. I was working full time in fashion during the week. I was like 23 years old. I had absolutely no social life. <laughs> and I then realized it was like a very polarizing experience to be working in fashion and also going to a yoga studio like three or four times a week immersed in like people who really care about you and like your well-being and what you say there matters and it was just so not like what I was experiencing in the fashion world and I was like oh wow this is this is like where I'm meant to be mm -hmm. so yeah I, I quit fashion didn't have any backup plan um but I did live at my parents house so I didn't have like rent to pay at the time <laughs> So yeah, it kind of like propelled me on this path of starting to eventually teach yoga to kind of like practice and get my footings in it first. And then just kind of started to unfold from there. Um, I love that. Yeah, that was a lot. So if you want, I mean, I could keep going, but if you want to chime no, in. No, <laughs> I, I, well, I, I have like just a few quick questions and then I yeah. want you to continue what kind of led you to where you are today. But yeah. um, when you were talking about the borrowed dream. I think that's like so relatable for people. We, I mean, are probably like imprinted in some way, shape or form of like going to college and picking a degree based upon like what our parents have talked about or what their passions and love, yeah. like love it, like what they enjoy. Because I mean, the fact that at 18, they're like, decide what you want to do forever is oh. like pretty, pretty messed up. Like, that is like such a fraction of our life. Yeah. And I just think like, 
it's so true. Like probably a lot of people feel like I have this like borrowed dream. I picked business and finance because my parents did business and finance, or I did this because my parents like always talked about it. And so being able to discern like, wait, this actually isn't my dream. This isn't what I want to do. And step away from that is probably like a lot of emotions came up as you started to make that decision of like, I, this isn't where I want to be. This isn't my passion. I want to step away from fashion and I want to move into yoga. And I I mean, this is kind of where you were going into that story, but like, what was that journey like for you? Yeah. And you're a hundred percent, right. It's challenging. And like, you know, I think for some people, they, you know, are happy to take on the family business and they're like, cool with that, you know? And not that my family had a business. I'm just saying like the borrowed belief, right. Or the borrowed dream. But, um, I, for me, I just like started to really hear like what was going on internally. And again, I think a lot of that came with, with practicing yoga so much, cause it just automatically makes you more self-aware when you practice it a lot. But, um, when I started like really realizing I don't want to do fashion, I, I've always been a little rebellious and um, not rebellious, but just like, I know what I want to do. And I, I'll just like kind of decide pretty quickly and do it. And so when I started to really not want to do fashion anymore, I would like voice it to my parents and they were very like apprehensive. Um, and I think when you don't have like, I don't know, quote unquote, a track record of like you, like now I've, I've quote unquote proved to my parents, right. That I can like do things and I can like have my own business and I'm like grounded in what I'm doing now. But when you don't, have you never done something like that before? And it's kind of your first step outside of like the box that they kind of had you in. It's like very, um, jolting to them. Cause they're like, I don't know, how is she going to do this? How are, you know, parents are when you were talking, I, the, the thing that was coming to me is we kind of like take on our parents' shadows and their fear, you know? So if they're like kind of living this fear-based life or fear-based thinking or way of doing things like, oh, I don't know if she's going to make it. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't, you know, they, all of that gets projected onto the individual and just sucks because like what, I'm like going everywhere with this question you asked me it just opened up so much but like what would life be like if from a young age our parents were just like putting all this stuff into us like you can do anything you want you can you know you'll succeed in whatever you do and I you know my parents said that kind of stuff to a degree but when the energy that they're putting onto you isn't that like when they're saying that but then their actions are kind of different and they're projecting fear onto you like the energy is always felt more than what what words are said you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so to kind of come back to your question, it was very hard to go against what they had wanted. And I was just like, I'm such like a pioneer in spirit. I was like, I'm just going to do it anyways. (laughs) I, but I think that's such an important conversation because we are taking on, like you said, the fear that our parents may be projecting onto us and we may not even be able to like discern that it's their fear that we're experiencing. Like it might be so embedded into us that we think we're the ones that are fearful. Yeah. And how do you, or how does somebody work through that of being able to figure out like, is this 
how I truly feel? Or is this something that is like somebody else's fear, like being cast on to me? And how do you like start to separate the two to be mm. able to listen to your inner voice? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that always starts with just finding moments to connect to yourself. And for me at that point in my life, it was yoga. And I didn't know that that's what this was. Like, I didn't know I was doing yoga and was like connecting myself and my inner knowing and voice. Like, I didn't know that that was what it was providing, providing to me, but it's called moving meditation for a reason, because it's that it's connecting to your breath. It's connecting to your body and it's taking time for yourself to find some stillness, right. Or find some way to express uh, movement and breath through connection to self. So for me, that is what I really believe at that time that was connecting me to that inner knowing. And looking back, I can say that now with more clarity at the time, I didn't know that's what it was. I just knew I had this inner voice that was like saying something different. So I would say for the person that is dealing with that and isn't sure like what fear is theirs or their parents or, you know, just that dealing with projections from anyone, right? Because we get projected onto all the time in society and from parents and from siblings and even friends and peers. Um, I would say it starts with a a practice to connect to yourself. And that can look in so many different ways. That can look in you doing yoga, that can look in you, you know, finding a few moments of silence before you start your day and just like kind of putting your hands on your heart and asking yourself how you're feeling. It could come from you taking a walk in nature, dance, like so many different ways. And I don't think that there's a one size fits all for that. You know, I think it's so unique to the individual. That's a really good point of it is because I think sometimes like, right, we venture into self-discovery work and we try like one thing that somebody told us they did and they loved it and it worked for them and then you try it and you're like yeah this is not for me (laughs) and then you just like stop and it's like what works for someone may not be exactly what you need and so you have to be willing to try on a few different things to see what feels right for you because your experiences are very different than the other people that you may have had the conversation with. And so you have to figure out like what feels right for you in your journey. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. When you started to make that shift into yoga and now, so I just want to, so are you still teaching or now you've like fully like stepped into your own or what does that look like for you? Yeah, I'm still teaching a little bit, not as often as I was before. You know, I started with some group classes um, at a few different or a couple different studios. And then I kind of really grew like a private yoga client practice. And that blew up during the pandemic because studios Mm -hmm. all closed. Um, And that's actually when I really stepped into self-employment was through having a lot of like yoga clients, private yoga clients. And now I just teach a private yoga client like a couple of times a week. And then I teach at a studio and sometimes I'll sub classes. Uh, but my my heart is more so in the deeper work with with people. I have a couple guy clients with my coaching and healing business, but mainly I support I focus on supporting women deeply just because that's what I know and the energy that I know I can deeply support from my own experience. And I always find that if if guys want to work with me, it's because they need a little bit of that, you know, divine feminine integration. Um, but yeah, so I'm still teaching a little bit. And I, I think it just it complements the work that I do, you know. Yeah. So when you were talking about that, you work with people in their healing journeys and on embodiment and inner child, what does that look like? Yeah. So I do energy healing sessions. I call them intuitive body guidance sessions. 
and what they really look like. It's so customized to the individual. And I always, I always give intuitive coaching support at the start of each session. Like for the first 20 minutes or so, I'll kind of talk to my client and like ask them what's going on and we'll chat about whatever they're working through. And oftentimes I really find it's a lot of like relational work. Um, a lot of women who come to me are dealing with, you know, trying to let go of an ex or just this kind of complicated relationship. Um, and just like life stuff, you know, I, I really, uh, support women and helping them come more into their bodies and their hearts and find safety from within. And so that's kind of a lot of the work we'll, we'll dive into together. And then during the session, I'll usually start out with like some sound healing with the sound bowl, like a guided somatic meditation to connect them and drop them into their body. And then the energy healing session just kind of flows and I get a lot of intuitive messages throughout. So whatever comes through, like always, it's, it's really interactive. It's fun. I don't really like, I don't like being quiet. So <laughs> I'll like say what's coming to me in the moment. And I open up space for my client to like share what they're feeling too, with their, whether that's in their bodies or whether that's in response to what I'm sharing with them. Um, and then the feedback I get after is that they always feel just like really relaxed and calm and clear. And I find that through multiple sessions over time, it really opens up so much for them in their life, just to connect deeper to themselves, to, uh, really clear space for what's not aligned so that things that are aligned can come in, you know, when you say relational work, like what is, what types of things are you yeah. working through or what types of challenges are people facing that they're coming to you for? And cause I'm just thinking like, if somebody listening is like, they're struggling with dating yeah. or being in a relationship or sing they're single like what type of advice would mm -hmm. you give to somebody and obviously you don't know everyone that's listening to this yeah. exact situation but I'm just trying to think you know what does that work look like in case someone's like I really don't know what you mean by healing yeah. and relational work because I, yeah. I do think like there is like this contrast of where people are at of understanding like what a healing journey actually means and what it means yeah. to go deeper and connect with yourself. And then there's people that are like so far removed from that, that they're like, what? Yeah. And so I just think it's important to like, yeah, discern what this, what it means. And then like, what, yeah. what types of stuff you help them discover and how they do connect deeper to themselves. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it's such like such a beautiful question. Also such a broad question, right? Because uh, what I'll say is uh, there's so many things I can say about this and I'll, I'm sure I'll say multiple things, but what I'll start with is like relationships. Yeah. We, we automatically sometimes think romantic. Right. And that is a lot of the work I support people with, but relational work means how we relate to everything and everyone. It's how we relate to our family. It's how we relate to our friends. It's how we re relate to romantic partners. It's how we relate to the world around us. And I think that that always starts from within and a lot of that looks like discerning what your boundaries might look like, you know, what's okay with you and what's not okay with you. And if you're not sure, you know, if something bothers you or rubs you the wrong way that someone else does, or you get angry about something like that's a pretty good indicator that a, viol a boundary was viol violated, like something that maybe you weren't even aware of, but you're like, it teaches you, right? Like, oh, this isn't actually okay with me. And so when I support people through relational work, a lot of it is that it's them working through things in their life that probably don't feel good, um, relationships in their life that don't feel good, and then just navigating that journey. And it could look really messy and really, you know, sticky and complicated. 
um, as relationships very much are complicated and complex in nature. And so the work that I support people in and what I'll say to like people wanting to understand this in general is it always starts with you and how you show up um, for yourself, how you show up in every single relationship in your life. And are you being, are you being the person that you would want to be in a relationship with, whether that's a friendship or a romantic relationship or whatever, you know? Like, what if someone's just like, I am just trying to date and I am totally striking out and they have like no self-awareness that maybe there is some stuff that they need to work through. Mm -hmm. Cause sometimes I think we just can be so out of tune with ourselves. And then we like start to just assume like, there's nobody out there for me. I'm never going to find anybody. And it's like, well, have you ever thought about like looking inward, like, or this is like two questions. So two for coming your way. Um, that question. And like, (laughs) also it's scary to fucking work on yourself. So like, maybe you've been in a relationship and you get out of it and you don't want to do the work. Yeah. And you just start dating and it might not even be like, I think this is so common where we don't even realize like, that's just us deflecting, having to look inward that we just start to date. And we're like, oh, I'm just like always in a relationship. That's who I am. And it's like, well, like, what are you avoiding? And how do you get people? And it's hard, right? Like you can't force people to do stuff, but it's like, how do you get people to like, realize like there might be some work to be done? Yeah. I it's the serial dater, right? The stereotype where you just like jump relationship hop. And if, if that is you and I'm speaking to this, there's absolutely zero judgment or shame, right? Cause everyone's on their own unique journey and path. I don't get too many clients that are in that kind of category, so to speak, but I would say if that's you or, you know, someone, you know, like the problem with that is that then we never get the relationship that we want because we're just hopping from relationship to relationship repeating the same pattern or cycle and if you've done that without looking inward you probably notice that you are dealing with the same kind of relationship most of the time and um, that's not going to change until we do look within so you know I like to tell people and clients that if there's like some, a specific partner you want, and this is so like typical cliche manifestation, but like make a list, not even for manifestation purposes, like sure, let's manifest if if we want to go there, but to get just like really clear about like what you want your relationship to feel like, like, yeah, you can make characteristics of the person, but what do you want your relationship to feel like? And how do you want to feel in that relationship? I think that's so much more important than like he should be, or she, or they should be tall and dark and you know blue eyed like that's beautiful but like how do you want to feel do you want to feel mm-hmm. safe do you want to feel like you guys can have so much fun together and laugh like do, you know I think that's so much more important for a healthy relationship and a foundation for that I like love that so much I think that that is such a really good thing to think about just for anybody that is dating is to think about like how do you want to feel in that relationship because we can get so focused on the physical attributes or 
even just like thinking about like, how does that person support you when you're navigating certain situations, like being really honest with yourself about what you're looking for so that when you start dating, you can come back to that versus I think when we don't check in with ourselves and we date, we maybe start to be like, "Mm, yeah, I guess that doesn't bother me that much. Mm, Yeah, that doesn't bother me because it's so easy to be like, I just want to be in a relationship. Yeah. And it's really hard. Like there's so many external pressures of like, find somebody, get married, have kids. And it's like, that's not the path for everybody. And that's okay. And there is like no infinite timeline. Like your timeline is your timeline, whether you get, that's what I was telling you about. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, the, the ding, did you hear it? Oh no, I didn't hear it. Oh, perfect. Good. Yay. I was like, I thought you were talking. (laughs) Honest we were. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Um, but like how, uh, now I lost my train of thought. Um, you're saying your timeline isn't someone else's. Yeah. Your timeline isn't somebody else's. So like if somebody gets married in their twenties, great. If you get married in your thirties, great. Your forties, great. If you never get married, great. Like just deciding what feels good for you and what you actually want and then like not giving in and like and or settling for less because you feel like you're behind on a timeline like it's so important to remember like everyone's path is going to look different and it can be really hard to feel like these societal pressures like knowing like that those are not true like yeah societal pressures are not true yeah, well, I think you you touched on something like really important about this is that we all want love and connection, right? Like that's it's pretty much like why we're here in, in my eyes and from what I've witnessed and felt and experienced, we all want to feel that unconditional love and we all want to feel really deeply connected to someone because if it's like primal, like if you weren't, if you didn't have your tribe back in the day, like you, you died, you need, we need each other to, to live. Right. So it's like that primal part of our brain that gets really triggered with isolation or aloneness. And also we have to learn how to resource from within ourselves. We have to learn how to, I mean, it's so like, yeah, self-love it's so cliche, but like, it's, it's true. You have to feel really like you can give yourself a lot of love and you have to feel like you can feel safe from within and not need something or someone else to feel that sense of safety. And I find that a lot of, this is like actually a beautiful segue, um, unless you have something else you want to touch on, but I'll just start to going. (laughs) Um, As if we, if we haven't grown up in an environment that feels safe, if there was a lot of chaos, if there was a lot of, you know, fighting or just communication that really isn't rooted from a place of love in our household, even, or, you know, God forbid we experience neglect or any kind of abuse, then our house and our home life and our upbringing like doesn't feel safe at all. And then we're, we have this innate feeling of not being safe in our own bodies and not being safe in our, our the world around us from a very young age. And so I find that, and this is really a lot of the work that I do with people and so much of my own journey is finding that safety from within so that we don't feel like we have to grab for the relationship or anything else to just help us feel that sense of safety. How do you get to that point? I knew you're going to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a long journey. No, I don't want to deter anyone. It's it's a process. I 
think that nervous system regulation work is incredibly important for this, which is why I do a lot of like somatic work. Like if I do an in-person session, I'm if as long as the client's okay with it, I'm usually like putting my hands and touching them in certain places where I feel guided, um, like, you know, on their, their adrenals or their back, or like I'm doing stuff on their head or neck. And there's so many like nerve endings there and nervous system touch points there. But I recommend like EMDR or like somatic experiencing therapy if you're wanting to really dive into the nervous system stuff but if you don't you know have resources to to do any of that right now like first of all EMDR you can usually find through insurance and it it's little to no cost um just want to like throw that out there as like an accessible resource but you can do stuff on your own too like little things like taking a deep breath in and a longer breath out you know you can even feel put your fingers on your your wrist or wherever you feel your pulse you can feel your heart rate start to slow down when you take a longer exhale and that's helping trigger that parasympathetic nervous system response and um if you're not feeling safe and, and sometimes we don't even I, I find that a lot of people don't even have the language for that like they're like I don't know what she's talking about like feeling safe but if you are like really hyper vigilant you're always kind of like scanning your surroundings you're just like that's a pretty good indicator you're you're feeling that the world around you isn't safe and what you can do is bring awareness to like your extremities like your hands and just like graze your fingertips really press your feet into the earth as you breathe really deep into the body you can like press your hands in like against the wall you can press your feet against the wall if you're laying on your back and these like these um tools help bring awareness to like your body in space they call it proprioception where you're just like aware of yourself in the present moment um so there's just like a few things I mean those are just a few to main to name you know there's so many but so interesting so my daughter um she tiptoe walks <laughs> and that I promise this will make sense in a second so she yeah. tiptoe walks and um we you know, figured like that would be something she would grow out of. And my sister was like, I think you need to like bring her in because mm. like, you know, if she keeps tiptoe walking, like she'll have like calf mu- over like calf her muscle tone. Yeah. And so we like took her in and I was thinking like, they're going to have us do like, I don't know, exercises. I really didn't know. Yeah. And they like evaluated her for like three hours and just watched her like what triggered her to wanting to toe walk. And it was because that was like the feedback that she needed to receive within her body to feel in control and to feel basically like safe. Mm -hmm. And so like to help her not need to toe walk because they don't obviously want her to keep toe walking because it will cause her calf muscles, um, where then she'll have to get bracing. And so I'm working, we're working with an OT where they're working to, um, help her vestibular and proprioceptive nervous systems like regulate by giving her body feedback in different ways so that she feels safe and she feels in control without having to toe walk and so like as you were talking like that's what I was thinking about is so like we go to OT and they have us do things like bear walking and crab walking and having her like make choices so like for instance 
we were like, okay, like today the OT was like, we're going to paint. And she was like, no. And usually if she gets frustrated, she starts to toe walk. And so the OT was like, okay, like give her a choice in that instance. So like she feels back in control versus being like, we're going to do this. And if she reacts and gets mad, now give her a choice. So she feels like she's in control and that helps her self-regulate. And then also like spinning, like spinning on different things or um playing with play-doh and like weighted blankets like they gave us this list of all these different things to help her feel safe within her body and it was I'm like still learning a lot about it but it was just interesting because like when she was you know getting mad we were thinking and like she is too so she is still getting mad about things but like it's interesting to know that like it also can be related back to her feeling not able to control that situation or yeah. feeling like unsafe and whatever she is. And then the tiptoeing is like her trying to regulate out her body. Yeah. That is such a fascinating story. And, and like, she's two. Yeah. So like we, oh, yeah. I mean, totally. as adults, like think about that. Like if, if we, and like, so now I'm trying to figure out, okay, what can I do to help her feel safe in her body? And yeah. how many of us go our entire lives without understanding what that means? Yeah. And that's the thing. Like we just don't really have the language for it. And I think the the nervous system conversation is something that's like really coming online now, which like, you know, thank goodness, because it's so important, but I'm so glad you told that story and that you shared freedom of choice is like, or power of choice. Like that's so important. And actually what I learned in somatic experiencing, cause I, I do that therapy myself is that even from like childbirth, if we are, if we have a, like a C-section and we're like pulled out, that's actually like not having choice from like literal birth. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like, I mean, there's no shame if you get a C-section. Sometimes we have to like for, for our lives. Right. But it, some, that's the way you have to do, but there's just like measures that we can take after that to help with that. But it's just like, this can literally be with us from birth feeling like we don't have choice and how then we try to like cope or self-soothe. Like, I mean, your daughter walking our toes, which is a, you know, one could say like a relatively like not too harmful coping skill, but over time it would be, you know, but that's just so fascinating. I was listening to, I wish I could remember. I want to say it was like a Mark Groves podcast, if you're familiar with him, but I Mm -hmm. honestly don't remember who was talking about this and I wish I could, so I could credit them, but they were talking about, uh, like he was, he does work with babies and maybe this was, may have been different podcast. I don't know. Ah, I hate that when you can't credit properly, but I'll have to like check it out. But he was basically saying he like works with babies and how um, he works with parents to like conscious parent their child. And he was saying like how many parents, you know, do like ooh gaga or like baby talk when like a child is like a really, and a baby is like an intelligent being. Like we can speak and talk to it like an adult and how he was doing that with their child and the child was like really responding to him and they're like oh like it's like you're her parent and he's like because I'm talking to this kid like it's an intelligent being because it is and he was saying like when we just like pick a kid up because we're going to the store we put it in the car and we don't say like oh do you want to go to the store with me that like we're just like not giving it choice and he was talking about that and he was even talking about how this little kid was like or this little toddler or baby was like hitting its head against the wall and the parents were like no no no," like and worried about it and he was like no no it's it's just trying to find its 
itself in space like it's trying to feel like where its head at, is at in space and so it's just so interesting how we try to control things for our kids not knowing any better of course like trying to be a great parent but like kids need choice kids need freedom and space to explore so that, that they can really come into their own and yeah it's I'm not a parent but like holy moly I feel like it's gonna be a whole journey when I am one <laughs> It is an ever-evolving plethora of so much knowledge to take in and figure out what your parenting style is. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, I don't, I hate, like, I don't, I hope this conversation doesn't create any, like, fear-based stuff because, like, I think that when you're someone who is, you know, self-aware, you're like, oh my God, I don't want to mess my kid up. You just have those thoughts. But, like, we're literally put on this planet to learn and to grow and to work through whatever lessons are handed to us. And, you know, our kids are going to have lessons just like we've had lessons and had to learn stuff and overcome stuff. And, you know, if it's not you making them have to work through something, it's going to be the kid from school or whatever, you know, everyone has their stuff that we. And, and I think like, I mean, I'm constantly reminded of this too, of like, we're all doing the best we can with what we know and what we're given. And as long as, and like, no, not, not as long, but like, if you are listening to podcasts and you're doing work, like you clearly are investing in yourself and like you want to figure out how to be self-aware and how to help your kids be self-aware. And like, obviously there are parents that do neglect their children or people unfortunately do experience abuse. But I do believe if you are a parent that is trying to learn how to love your child and like make them feel cared for, like you are doing the best that you can and it's not going to be perfect. I mean, there are days where my husband and I are literally like just trying to get by. And like, there are times where I'm like, okay, I'm getting frustrated. I need to step away. And like, you know, or there's been time where like, I have raised my voice and then instantly I'm like, I am so sorry. Mom is getting frustrated. I need to step away. Like, and I think we've, I actually was just talking about this with like friends is like growing up in a house where like what I was putting into my body was very, I was very aware of that, of, um, the foods that I was eating because of just my mom always is some, I love her mom. You're the best, but food was a focus in our house. And so like, that's something that I was very aware of, of like, okay, I don't ever want Clara to feel like she can't have something because it's deemed unhealthy. And I think it's just like reminding ourselves like, though, like we're, just trying to love our kids and do the best that we can. And if you are someone that's like willing to learn and grow and figure out how to parent and love your child, like I think that you're doing amazing and just know that like some days are hard and some days are beautiful and wonderful, but like investing in you and investing in like learning, I think is just such an important part of parenthood. Yeah. Yeah. The part where you said like, when you come back and say I'm sorry that means so much to a kid and and I think this is even like relationships as a whole with anyone right like if we like we're human we're gonna 
not be our best self all the time. And this is something that I've struggled with, like wanting to show up as my best self all the time. And, you know, we get prideful when we don't, and it's like hard for us to, uh, say sorry when you're in like the heat of a confrontation with someone but you know whether you need to say sorry to a kid or like a loved one I think that 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 really can can rectify a relationship or the you know confrontation between you and someone else it, it strengthens it you know when you can put the pride and the ego down and just say like you know I really wasn't being my best self and I'm sorry mm. and that goes such a long way as long as the person on the other side is willing to receive that and puts their ego down too, you know? Well, that's the thing I think is we can recognize like, oh, I need to like apologize and let my guard down and, you know, let's talk through this situation that just happened. But if both people aren't willing, it can be really hard to be the first one to make that step. But I think like you will never regret being the one to initiate a conversation after something that maybe did get heated or started to like maybe blow up a little bit in your face, like being able to be that one to go back and like set your ego aside and want to have a conversation versus an argument is a really powerful thing that you can do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you were talking about, we're not always going to be our best selves all the time and like how that can be so hard right and like to put our pride aside like how did you start to navigate that yourself when you started to realize like okay I guess I can't be my best self all the time Mm. a challenging question to be honest because it's like I find it so challenging to distill like such a big concept into one like oh this is how I did it you know it's it's that conscious awareness in each and every moment. And I think that the practices that I do to connect to myself on a daily basis and weekly basis really support me in in being able to um in being able to like say sorry if I'm not showing up as my best self. But I'm human. Like I, I get hard on myself at certain times just like everyone else. I think I've come such a long way from where I used to be in that regard. But you know, if I'm like with my, I'll just say this with my ex-boyfriend, you know, we definitely had our moments where there was a lot of heat and just miscommunication between both of us. And there are definitely times where I would like get really upset. And I I don't like, um, I don't like when communication isn't rooted in a place of love. And I think it's okay to get angry and upset and express yourself and show emotion because that's actually something I've struggled with in the past too is not allowing myself to get upset because I don't want to like ruffle feathers or I don't want to, you know, it's not worth my energy. But the reality is you're allowed to express and you're allowed to feel. And so that's something that I've come a long way from too in my journey and learned a lot from. But to answer your question, I I think in those moments when I don't show up as my best self, I just really it takes me a moment to process. Like I'll usually have to step away from the situation. And then I'm kind of like, Oh, like that was not, I'll take a moment to just come back to myself. And then I'll, I'll usually apologize pretty, pretty soon after I don't, I'm not like, I don't like holding on to resentment or grudges or anything like that. Cause at the end of the day, that only affects you, you know, it's a lot of weight to carry. When you talk about conscious awareness, what do you mean? 
I mean, having conscious awareness in each and every moment is that sacred connection to self. So what supports me in that is like, I mean, gosh, my practices change, honestly, like all the time. So I never stick to like, I'm not like I meditate for 15 minutes every single day and it always looks the same. And like, that's not me, but if that's you, that's beautiful. Um, but my practices, you know, usually these days look like 20 or 30 minutes of like some kind of connection to my body. So like, I'll do some somatic shaking, which is just really like shaking out the body and like having a soft bend to your knees and feeling your, your breath in your body, feeling the feet in the earth. Um, or like dancing and just letting my body guide me. My, my practices these days really look like a lot of embodiment stuff, but finding what works for you to connect to yourself is going to bring in quote unquote conscious awareness into your day to day. So that would look like being present, you know, being present in the moment when you're making your cup of coffee in the morning, being present in the moment when you are you know, grabbing all your stuff to run out of the house. Like you're not just like running around like a chicken with your head cut off. It's, and when you can live your life that way, I mean, I find that you're just so much less stressed. You're so much more calm. You're able to just sit with a person like, like this for an hour and have like a conversation where you're just with each other. And I mean, no judgment here, but how often have we been in like talking to someone when we're just not here? We're kind of like, our, and you can feel that when someone's not with you, you when someone's not present with you, you know, and I actually think that that, that was like a huge thing I had to heal growing up because I love you, mom. <laughs> we'll just say it. We'll just name it. My mom was really busy. She had, she was a businesswoman. She was making money for her household. She was trying to be like superwoman by like doing the dishes, doing the laundry. Doing, she was just always having so much to do that she couldn't just sit with me and be present. And so long-winded way of answering your question but I think that conscious awareness is really just unwavering presence with yourself with others in the moment I was just listening to on audible big audible big audible <laughs> gal um things like a monk and oh yeah Jay Shetty. Shetty, yeah he was just talking about exactly what you're saying yeah. um and he was giving an example in parenting of its quality over quantity so if you are someone that is really struggling as a parent, and I, I think this, and this can be applied in any relationship. If you are someone struggling as a parent, because you're working a lot and you feel like you're not able to be home with your kids as much as you'd like to be, or maybe you are somebody that is so busy that you haven't seen your friends in a while, like going back to this idea of quality over quantity. So rather than focusing on the fact that, and this, honestly, I can apply this to myself. I I'm very busy doing a lot of different things. And there are a lot of times that I feel guilty over not being able to be home as much as I would like to be, but I am doing a lot of things that fill up my cup and it's important to me to invest in myself. And so he was talking about like quality in parenting means that when you're at home, you're setting those no technology hours. So you get home from work, you let your work know if they need you, they call you. Otherwise you are not checking email. You are not checking Slack. Like you are spending quality time with your kids versus if I'm trying to just focus on quantity. Yeah. And I'm like available on my email and my phone for my staff to get a hold of me while I'm with my kids. Like that's what they remember. They remember me 
picking up a work call when I'm spending time with them versus just like spending really quality time with them, even if it's a little bit less in terms of the quantity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's such an important thing to know because I think in an hour or two of just you being fully present with them is I like that's enough you know if you have things to do during the day because you're you're your own person and like a human too you know but I think even in like friendships if you yeah. think about it if you're like wanting to be with people and you can't see your friends that often like leave the phone in the car leave the yeah. phone at home leave it in your purse like really invest in yeah. the people that you are spending that time with and like make it a really quality, a quality connection, a quality time. Like what's that? Yeah. Just like make that time together. Like very, I want to say quality, but that doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Make it. Um, Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Why can't I figure out how to say I don't know, it? Me either. I'm like, I think I need to eat breakfast. A quality like, connection. Breakfast. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but make uh, it like worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, like, cause you, there's nothing worse than leaving um time with somebody and being like, cool. They were literally on their phone the entire time. Yeah. And like, just as an adult can feel that kids can feel that too. Yeah. Oh my God. And kids are, I feel like kids are even more con- like connected in that regard. And, you know, they don't have all like the, they don't have as much busyness as us adults do. And they're just very, they're aware here with, yeah, they're so aware, but yeah. I think I agree. Like, I think the more that I come into my journey of just being so embodied and here and now, and I'm not perfect, but I really, really do my best to live my life and lead my life that way. The more that I, am in this space when when someone's not present with me it's like so felt immediately and I'm just like "Eh, okay this is I don't like I don't want to connect with you (laughs) you Mm. know like no yeah it's not like you're a bad person I just you know you got something going on that's okay like we'll we'll disconnect and we'll connect when you can connect yeah which I think it's just having these conversations is good because I think it reminds us all of like, okay, I need to Mm. maybe step away from my technology a little bit and be more present when I'm with people. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of kids, uh, at the beginning, you talked about inner child Yeah. and what types of stuff have you done to reconnect with your childlike self? Mm. So inner child has been really big and it's, it's work that I'll say might not be for everyone at the point in time in their journey that they're at it, because it can be re-triggering or re-traumatizing. Like we want to be really, and this is actually something I've learned over time as like a practitioner and, you know, as a space holder, um, we have to be really trauma-informed because otherwise we can really re-traumatize clients and, and people in general. And so like, I can say, write a letter to your inner child and I can explain what that means. But if I say that and like someone's getting really engulfed in that experience as they're writing the letter, that means like their adult self. So basically we are always operating from either our younger self, our inner child, or like our younger wounded self or our adult self, our highest self, our highest expression. Like there's so many different things you can call it. Right. But what I often find, and this kind of ties back into the relationship work that we were talking about, like when we show up in relationship, if we find ourselves triggered by something or, you know, really upset by something someone does and it creates a reaction within us, 
that is our younger self like point blank period I, I hate to make things so black and white but it's like you're always either operating from your highest adult self or like present day self or that younger part of you because our emotional mind has no concept of time so something that happens when we're seven years old that really hurts our feelings if we show up in present day confrontation and you know a, a situation happens that provokes that same exact feeling that came on when we were seven years old from this one situation when we were seven if we haven't done the somatic work meaning like the work in the body to really like acknowledge that and heal that then we're we're literally like automatically turn into a seven-year-old even though I'm like 28 year old Amy I'm like a seven-year-old right now because the situation that just happened with this person brought me back to that time in my emotional mind so all that to say inner child healing really works with what we've been through when we're younger and some of those are memories that we can absolutely like recall which are called explicit memories we think you know things that we can recall from with our thinking brain and a lot of the times there we have what's known as implicit memories and that lives in our body that lives in our nervous system our fascia you know they say issues in your tissues for a reason like all that stuff gets stored as memory internally but our subconscious or rather sorry our conscious mind will not remember that because it, it's protecting us from not having to remember like a painful feeling or memory um and so inner child healing can look so many ways but i find a beautiful place to start is just by like kind of sitting with yourself and meditation and closing your eyes and sometimes people need like a picture of themselves when they're younger to connect but just connecting to that younger part of you you can you can do this whether you're visual or not truth truth be told i'm not an incredibly visual person well I am visual when I'm like looking at stuff, but I'm not visual in the way that I like meditate and receive information. I like close my eyes and I don't see a whole lot. I feel a whole lot. <laughs> so you can connect with that younger part of you in so many different ways, but just closing your eyes, maybe placing your hands to your heart and just like allowing them to maybe come forward and they might be hiding if they haven't been acknowledged in a while um, or ever. And it might feel weird at first, it might feel funny at first, but as you start to continue to do it and come back to it, like really profound changes happen. And I know, I know you want to probably ask more questions. The last thing I'll say is that when I, <laughs> when I've done this work is um, whenever I'm feeling really heightened by something or like I'm upset about something and I like realize I haven't connected with like younger Amy in a long time, I'll like close my eyes and I'll like put my hands on my heart and I'm just like, I'm so sorry. Like, I did not mean to abandon you. Like, I'm here. We're safe. Like, everything's okay. I'm here for you. Like, I love you. We're safe. I really, re like, repeat, we're safe a lot. I swear, if I'm, like, anxious, I immediately feel my system calm down. And I'm really, like, connected to bodily sensations within myself. But, like, it, it's really powerful. I think, like, inner child stuff is so crazy and we just like underestimate the power of yeah. being able to talk to our younger self and I think like for me like I still have a lot of work to do with that but what's been so powerful is just being able to recognize the ways in which I dimmed my light of like who I was as a kid and how like yeah. Nikki had a really um 
good reel about this a while ago and she was like covered in like layers of clothing and then she started like shed them all off to like come back to like who you were and um Glennon Doyle says this too of like who were you and I I've said it as well I've probably just like taken it from listening to her say it of just like who were you before the world told you who to be Mm. and that's like such a great reminder of like coming back to your childlike self because like you said Amy that is still within all of us Mm -hmm. um I for me like listening to you talk about like the memories Mm. I think what is so interesting is I can guarantee there are memories uh that I'm holding on to that I just don't remember because like you said our body's trying to keep us safe um from them and it's like there's a part of me I feel called to go deeper and like get that understanding. But I'm also like, do I actually want to do that? Like, will that benefit me? And, you know, I'm love to know like your take on that. Yeah. I mean, I believe and feel and what I've, what I know to be true is that things will surface when we're ready to deal with them and things will also surface when we feel like we're in a safe enough place to be able to like experience it and and move through it um you know and there are some people I don't know if this is like your audience or if they're (laughs) they know like ayahuasca or something right but I'm just using this example like some people will be like I'm gonna go do plant medicine because I want to like face all this trauma or people can go to extreme measures to like force it to come up and for them to face it and that that can definitely work for some people that might be a path but I don't think that we need to like force ourselves to face something if we're not ready I do feel that things will bubble up and surface when they are ready I mean I've done embodiment this just shows the power of the mind-body connection too is I when I started doing like that somatic shaking practice um which I like mentioned before I also have a video like a reel of it on my Instagram if anyone wants to go check that out like share my Instagram at the end of this but um when I first started doing it I had a couple memories come up and like there were things I remembered but not thought about in a really, really long time, like just traumatic situations from previous relationships and things. And when I was like shaking my body, those memories like bubbled up and surfaced and I started crying and I had to like put my hands to my heart and like, just kind of be with it and move like my body through it. And that just shows like, so crazy, like what can be stored away within us. But I think that your question there's not like it's not black and white I think that if there if you know there's stuff that you could probably like look at a little deeper in face then you know if we're avoiding then maybe it's time to like look but if we're trying to force then maybe allow ourselves to just be and and trust that things will come up when they're ready and when you say come up when they're ready like if you're doing the work on yourself Mm -hmm. because I think like what if someone's just like not I mean they're not doing anything and then do do you understand what I'm asking yeah you're saying if someone's like not looking at themselves at all then then that's probably the avoidant type right so maybe like look at yourself a little bit and then things will start to surface yeah but like we can start with what we know you know if we know we were bullied when we were younger if we know that we had a parent who was verbally abusive or whatever like those are things we probably know with our thinking mind we might not be able to recall every single memory because it was painful but if we know that that happened and we're not really acknowledging it and we just think we're fine, like 
I, I know I know many people like this, you know, and there's this isn't bad at all, by the way. Like everything I'm saying, there is never any judgment. There's zero shame because we're all just on our journey and our path. But I know people who have had what I perceive to be pretty traumatic upbringings and they think that they're like just fine and they're like, no, but I'm, I'm the exception. Like nothing from my childhood has, has affected me. And that just simply means you have a really, really strong like protector part of you that is really great at you know, numbing that experience or suppressing that experience or disconnecting from that experience. Like it doesn't mean you're you're exempt from the rest of the world in the way that we operate psychologically, you know? Well, I think what I've just come to learn more as I've done more self-discovery work is like, likely most of us have experienced some form of trauma in our lives, mm -hmm. but like what we view as trauma is usually like so yeah. like far like crazy trauma is this and it's like actually no trauma can be something um as I'm just gonna use like my ex experience like but like my mom being like you are going to have a salad for dinner and your friends are going to have a hamburger. Mm -hmm. And like, that's actually, that's trauma. But like, I didn't see it as that yeah. until like recently, honestly, in the last few years of like, yeah. oh shit, like that is definitely something I'm holding on to. And I think yeah. like, we just, a lot of, like, we just don't know what we don't know. Yeah, and it's having totally. these conversations that opens people's eyes of like, oh, wait, I yeah. guess I probably have uh, some trauma and it's going to look different for everybody, obviously, because our experiences are all different. But like, I, I do feel like we're coming to know, especially on our generation of like, no, this is what trauma is. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this huge, massive thing for it to have impact us, impacted us in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And beautifully said, and just, if anyone doesn't know, trauma is not the Thing that occurred right trauma is the the response that takes place in your body in your system so all trauma simply means it is if something's like too much too fast too soon for your body if it's overwhelming for your system to be able to process and handle like your nervous system has a response right where it goes through this um like an animal if an animal it get like say a dog and you see a dog getting a kind of like a tiff or a fight with another dog if that kind of gets pulled apart and they're fine they're going to shake it out they're going to shake it out and then they're going to go on with their day they're going to be fine so that's how our bodies are meant to naturally handle stress in something that comes our way but if our system is overloaded and it's too much for us to handle it gets stuck and like frozen in our system I'm not using all the you know fancy smart nervous system words as I'm still learning a lot about this work myself but that happens and then we can't process it in the way that it's meant to move out of our bodies. So then that becomes trauma, you know, that becomes trauma in our systems, in our bodies. And then that, it really like starts to shape our reality in our life. So we, we move through it and address it. And we can hold on to it for a really long time. Life. Yeah. I don't want to like scare anyone with talking. You're fine. But You're going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We're just sharing and we're educating and you. yes. <laughs>
on a, on a lighter note, um, something that I was talking about on my podcast that came out today was how, so my friend just wrote a book and it's called my savage truth. And she talks about her trauma and I'm reading the book. I'm happy. My mom died by Jeanette McCurdy. I don't know if you've heard about it or not. And she's like talking about like her experience and I'm very early in it. And what came up for me in both of these books was like, how do people remember memories? like is there something wrong with me because one I feel like I have a really like sometimes I'm reading books that people have written about their life and I'm like why can't I remember like anything <laughs> like I remember big memories so like yeah. I talked about an episode today I'm like I a favorite childhood memory was like going to Disney World with my family like yeah that's a massive memory yeah. like the little things that I feel like a lot of people remember like really cute sentimental things about their childhood and I'm like do I have like memory loss like what is wrong with me no you know I, I actually am like that too um I think like I've I've remembered more things in recent years as I've done deeper like work in this but I've been like that too and there's nothing wrong with you it's actually quite common to like block out a lot from our childhood yeah um, it, I I just am like yeah I want to do the work to like remember but like not just things that I'm like holding on to because yeah they like were not great memories but I also want to like do the work to remember some of the good stuff too yeah and I, I think more of those will surface and sometimes you just also need like people to say oh this happened when you're and then you kind of start to recall it a little bit more that's happened to me yeah but, um, yeah I, w- I would I would dig into that a little bit maybe I, I think, that I was think funny. more will service in time yeah I agree with you though <laughs> every I, time I'm, like, I'm reading a book I'm like how do these people remember things when they were like four years old I've heard someone say before that they remembered their birth and I'm like what <laughs> excuse me <laughs> I don't remember my birth at all but that's lovely I, I didn't know that was possible <laughs> I, I do. I guess I have one more question about yeah. what you were talking about earlier with like the C-section stuff and like oh. the lack of choice in that and just like a better understanding of what that means. So like mm. someone, so both my kids were C-section babies. Yeah. So like what, what that means in terms of like, they just like came before they were ready. And like, that's how it like was like a lack of choice from the beginning or like what, because yeah. I know you, I know you said you were, um, it was a podcast that you were listening to right about this. That actually my somatic experiencing oh, okay. therapist told me. So yeah. it's not something I have a ton of like knowledge or language around. I've heard it through her and I'm also, and like, I just started this, uh, somatic trauma therapy certificate, uh, certification program. So I actually like heard them talk about freedom of choice last night who on our call, but, um, it, I think it's, it can be nuanced because I was also a C-section baby. And I came early, like I went, I think I was like a week and a half early or something. My mom went into labor. And so like, then they, they, you know, had me, but I was a C-section because she had already had two more with my older brothers. So I was, I was telling my therapist that I was like, but I was, I came early. So like, I was wanting to come, but we didn't go that deep into it. I think it's just because you're not like coming out in your own time. I think it just depends. But yeah, if someone's like pulling you out, not like we're sitting there like do you want to come out now we're like talking to it you know I it's it's nuanced but um it's interesting because like you said your daughter dealing with the the choice thing now I don't know it could be hand in hand I'm not diagnosing her by any means but 
just yeah. it, it was just interesting when you said it I was like oh that's so so I'm gonna have to dig more into it yeah and and I'll as I learn more about it we can connect offline too yeah yeah sorry, <laughs> sorry audience <laughs> well if anyone else wants to know now you can dig into it as well um the last thing that I my favorite question I say this every time because it really is but what is the ripple that you want to create oh um I think that my my passion and the ripple that I want to create is really to help everyone create such deep awareness with self and in the world around them and come really deeply into their bodies connect with their hearts so that they can just show up as their authentic selves you know fully who they are taking up space and yeah so we can all just relate to each other in such a beautiful way where we're not like wanting to kill each other and you know that (laughs) I love that and I think that that's such an important note is to be able to create space for people to show up fully as themselves and to show them that that is possible yeah and okay I think we're all so afraid of being ourselves and we didn't even talk about this a lot but I don't want to open up a whole other can of worms but like vulnerability you know it's that has been such a huge part of my journey and just that's something I help clients with a lot too is just allowing them to be seen and be witnessed Mm -hmm. and be heard and to know that's okay and I love to create that ripple where people can show up and, and be seen and know that that's okay to be seen you know when you say like it's okay to be seen what do you what do you mean by that like being who you are authentically or yeah being who you are inside like your inside and your outside are the same right like you're not wearing a mask when we show up in a relationship or in a friendship and you can be who you truly authentically are you know and you can express what you feel I think so much in relationship we like don't say how we're really feeling we're afraid to like say how we're feeling we think that you know, there's always still that stigma, like emotions make you weak, or that's kind of like the toxic masculine energy, but your emotions are beautiful. They're always informing you and and telling you something really important. And we can share that with others. Cause when we, when we allow ourselves to be seen, when we share what we're feeling and who we really are, that creates true, genuine connection you know, Mm. that that we're all craving because otherwise we would talk about this earlier, but otherwise like we're not, we don't actually have connected relationships. It's like, it's fake, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we're not, we're not really showing up as who we are and and how we are. And I mean, I feel like just something that I've found over the last few years, especially is just like, yeah, I want to have conversations with people where they like want to go deep and be real and, talk about the hard shitty stuff and know that it's okay and they can say something and it's no judgment it's just them being honest about their story and their experiences and finding people like that that can hold that space for you to just listen and receive you is so so powerful yeah absolutely and when you share what you have going on like you just said and you you are received like so healing Mm. and you don't know that 
you can heal like that and you can be vulnerable like that until you do it and then you realize like oh this is what life is about mm. Amy this has been so mm. awesome we got I mean we talked about like all of the things so many things, so many things. <laughs> so um, many things. I, who knew we were going to talk about Clara's occupational therapy appointment not me not coming in a conversation um where can my listeners find you to just connect and learn more and see all the things that you are up to yeah mostly I would say I'm on Instagram at healing by Amy and that's a-i-m-e-e I I spell it a little different uh that's where I I connect with people the most I I try to do the TikTok thing it's you know it's not that present (laughs) and then my website is healingbyamy.com but that is that's a little un- under construction. So yeah, Instagram would be the main spot. Hey, okay. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank Everybody make sure you go check her out and see all the things that she is up to and make sure you share this podcast out with someone else that you think needs to hear it today. Leave a rating and review so we can continue to impact more people in this community. And until next time, let's go out and start creating ripples.